Good morning and welcome to On Fire Radio, brought to you by Catskill Mountain Christian Center, a full gospel family church and Christian academy located at 629 Main Street in beautiful Margaretville, New York. What a great day to go to church. If you don't have a church, come on over to Catskill Mountain Christian Center. We would love for you to be our guest this morning. That's Catskill Mountain Christian Center this morning at 10 o'clock. If you'd like more information about On Fire Radio or Catskill Mountain Christian Center, give us a call at 845-586-4848. I'm Renard Bartow, and I'd like to invite you to join us for the next 30 minutes as we bring you On Fire Radio. Now let's go to Pastor Bob Engelhart with today's message. We are privileged to have a guest speaker this morning, and uh, his name is Pastor Jimmy Moss. He is, to really a large degree, he goes all the way back to the beginning of us being here in Margaretville. Um, We were in the same network together and taught us about the diaconate. But, but you know what? He is a straight shooter, and he has a word of the Lord this morning. And I ask you, please, to open your heart. Oh, will you please welcome him? <laughs> Guys, go ahead. I want to talk to you about producing generational blessing. There's a connection between one generation to the next. So I want you to look at this passage, Matthew 22, 19 through 22. It's a familiar one. You've seen this before, I'm sure. Um, the, the backdrop here is that they're trying to trap Jesus and they're trying to get him to, uh, they're trying to trap him. They're, they're, they're going to they're play, play some, some games here. And so they're asking him if he's going to pay the tax, if his disciples have to pay the tax, and, and should they pay taxes. And so that's, that's, the, that's the generalized agreement. And so it's almost like a trap. And so this is, many of us remember this particular scene. It says, show me the coin. He tells them, show me the coin that is used for the poll tax. And they, so they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed and leaving him, they went away. See, a lot of times what most people, the average person out there, including sometimes the average person in in, in churches all across our country, in our neck of the world, the, uh, the reality is that most people are somewhat either numb or devoid of understanding that we're in a spiritual world. That right now stuff is happening around us, but we don't see it, we don't sense it. We might sense some things, but truth of the matter is that there's things that are a lot deeper. And it's, I always find it amazing that in generations that are following and people have such fascination with all kinds of things, all kind of paranormal, all kinds of things that are going on, that it's hard it's hard for them to grasp the fact that God is moving and he doesn't always have to show up in person for him to make something happen. Do you understand? That's the world we live in, you follow? 
So I don't, I don't hyper-question that anymore. I'm not an electrician, but I do know that if you plug something into the wall in the right uh, established outlet, I know chances are things are going to work. But if you ask me, how does it work, I couldn't tell you. I, I couldn't tell you. And truthfully, I don't care. I really don't because I don't. It's like I know I don't have enough time left in my life to figure that out. But I, but I trust the fact that it does that. And so a lot of times, particularly for people today that are constantly trying to second guess and question what God is doing or if that is there is a God or uh, make him an unreasonable um, a creature that doesn't necessarily fit in our world because we're so smart, you know. Um, that, that to me, it, it gives us pause. The bothers me is not that the world thinks that way. What bothers me is that the people inside the church also think sometimes like that. And so Jesus handles this stuff, and, you know, it's all about context. So we look at a scene, and we're thinking, great, Jesus got the upper hand. But sometimes we're puzzled, like, what was the upper hand he got there? All right, big deal. You know, you give to Caesar what Caesar's, sounds good, whatever. But what he was doing, what he was instructing them in, is he was instructing them to understand what the delivery systems are in your life. What are the things that we, what do they exist for? That there are systems that exist in our world for blessing, for curse, for provision, for release, all of these things. And that a lot of times you have to know your sources so that you can get the right return. Right? Yes. I don't have the right, I don't have, what's the, what's the number one bank up here? NBT? NBT. I don't have an account there. So you picture me going to that bank and asking, writing a check, some check that I've made up, and said, listen, I just want to withdraw four or $500. They'll say, yeah, um, you got to help us out here, buddy. We, we need identification, and you also, we need your account number. Well, I, I don't have an account number per se, but if I withdraw the money, then maybe I can start one afterwards. <laughs> you, they would look at you like, you know, really, there's a... There's a halfway house down the block. Maybe you can, you can get some help. What happens to us is that sounds really ridiculous. Like we have enough sense to know you cannot withdraw money from a bank account you've not deposited in. Now here's the problem most Christians fight throughout their life is that a lot of times they want to make withdrawals from a spiritual life that they've only deposited in their natural. They, they, want, they want the blessings of what comes in this place that we don't see and fully trust in and have confidence in, but we don't want to make investment in that. And so what we do is we pulverize our life, making only our investments in the world in which we see and tangibly touch, and then ask God to overwhelm all of that to, uh, uh, to move into our life. And what Jesus was telling them is, you see, we're not telling you not to tax. We're saying to you, Caesar's coin has his image because you've got to interact with that system on a certain level. But God's system operates on an entirely different level, and it would behoove you to know how to work with that one as well. And it was actually to their shame because he basically underhandedly was telling them, you know the poll tax pretty good, but you're not really, really interested in how the delivery system works in the world you profess to understand. Are you with me so far? And so it's all about context. And so Caesar's coins meant that a certain set of rules existed to function properly there. 
And so we also need to have a little bit of intentional understanding and activity as to how we're going to get the kind of results that God wants for us. And so I have a lot I can say on that subject, but what I want to talk to you specifically about that is how we sow generationally. Now that sounds big deal, but simply means that we're leaving something behind. We're, 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 we're producing, we're planting, even though we ourselves may not eat of the fruit, but we're preparing it for those that are behind us. So here's, here's three wise men. I want to give you some stories and three things. You know, I'll just give you something you can go home with today. First Kings chapter 11, 11 through 13. So the Lord, I think it's, is it on the screen? Okay. So the Lord said to Solomon, because you have done this and you have not kept my covenant and, and of my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand uh, of your son. However, I will not tear away all of the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now, if I asked you what was the key ingredient to Solomon's life, most everybody will remember the story, it was wisdom. And yet, with all the wisdom he had, and this is important for you and I to know, the ratio is not good, because he had all that wisdom, and inevitably, later in life, he was doing the most despicable things, even, even while he was entrenched in power that God had given him. Literally, he was sacrificing human babies to the god Molech. He was, he was sacrificing all other kinds of vile things, but that one stands out to me because that's personal. And he was doing this while still being the king. And so God's, you know, God said, you know what? I'm going to tear it away from you. And so he has a son. He says, but I'm not going to do it in your lifetime. But he says, I'm going to take it away from your son. But I'm going to give him, I'm going to, he's going to end up with one tribe. Talk about writing the book. And so he, he knows, Sol Solomon ends up knowing this is going to happen. And so the first thing I want to talk to you is about continuity. This is what's important, continuity, and based on this. It means that continuity means we preserve a lineage of blessing for other generations. This idea that God is an American is a lie. You hear what I'm saying to you? And what that means is we simply build the coffers for ourselves and for our own family, and we care nothing else. That's not a kingdom understanding. I'm true blue, I'm American. But I'm saying to you that I, I, what has happened is it's creeped up into us, and if we're not getting dividends, then we stop making investments. But that's not what God said. God wants you to produce a lineage that even in your days that are closing out, when they're closing out, you're constantly sowing because you're providing ground for another generation that's gonna follow in your footsteps. They're coming behind. And we need to leave something so that they can, they have territory and they have function and they have wisdom and they have insight and they have anointing. All of those things so that they can preserve the line. Solomon turns towards his wives' gods at the expense not only of his future, but he did it at the expense of everyone that was attached to him. It's heartbreaking lesson. And we all have the capacity to do the same thing. And so the only thing that promises, the only thing that keeps him in the game is God's promise to his father, David, who had Solomon out of an illicit relationship. Are you, are you with me? That's the God we serve. So worship, 
what the problem with Solomon was his false worship. That's what got him in trouble. All of those things, those sacrifices, he was worshiping at the altars of other gods. The one who had heard the voice of God himself was now worshiping at other gods. That's a direct affront to everything in the kingdom. And as a result of it, it opened doors when you do that, when you worship at other, at other altars, it allows the enemies of your life to ransack all of your belongings. So it not only robs you, but it robs those that follow after you because you've got nothing to share. So you say, okay, well, what, what is he saying? It means worship is a key ingredient and it's not about singing songs. It's about devotion. It's about your, the continuity of blessing. And so God makes these demands in scripture about what's true worship, what's false worship. And false worship, I want you to hear me, is not always about foreign altars or weird statues, but it's about the things that ultimately distract and overcome you from real and true sacrifice. See, you really can't worship at two places at the same time. I know we, we think we can. We can multitask, right? I can worship my life, and at the same time, I can still worship God. But that's not really the way it works in the kingdom. And God would take it personally. He gives us these, these real-life examples because when you purposely went to another altar to sacrifice and to worship, everyone and their uncle knew you were at that altar. And if that altar was not God's altar, it was a direct affront. It was a, it was a deviation. You were, you were avoiding the worship of the one true God. So how does that work for us today? Well, what it means is that a lot of times, what we sometimes declare in our life as an honorable and righteous and even holy excuse, many times that takes us away from real worship and real sacrifice for the kingdom, most of that is usually a smokescreen. It's a cover-up, you know, it's, a, it's so that we can concentrate first on what matters to us most. We preserve what matters to us most first, and then we'll, we'll do other things, and we use all kinds of excuses to do that. But what it does, what I want to tell you deeper than that, I'm not punishing you, I'm saying this, we all do this. What it does is it takes away the blessing from future generations, it doesn't leave a mark. It doesn't leave an existing altar, not a, not a figurative one, one that operates, that allows people to say, this is the God we will serve. This is the God we worship. This is how we do it. For those of you that are little 90s, the Montel Jordan song, you know, this is how we do it, baby. This is, Montel, by the way, is a pastor. He's, uh, he, he, he preaches and teaches on family today. He, he sang a song, this is how we do it, in South Central LA. And Bottom line is, this is how we're supposed to be doing it. See, most people go to church and goes, where are you going? Well, I'm going to church. I'm going to sit there and then participate in worship. God forbid you lift a hand. I mean, I mean, God only knows you could tear your rotator cuff if you just lift your hand. I mean, there's absolutely zero exercise. What all of that is is self-preservation. We are, we are preserving ourselves. And so continuity is hurting us because we're, we're cutting off the cycle. So continuity, say continuity. continuity. Continuity is important. I want to give you vision and hope for something more than yourself. Like I know you're getting tired. I know you get weary. I know you get battered. It doesn't have to do with age either. This, this is a, 
There, there's a generation right now, they're young and they're pummeled. They're overwhelmed. They're overworked. They're under, 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 uh, uh, they're underserved in the sense that they have not learned to serve. So they're not receiving, they're not receiving, they're receiving the results of a life of service. God wants you to think of that. Here's the second one. The second one has to do with Rehoboam. Now, this is the son. I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 12. So we talked about continuity. Now I'm going to talk about keeping a flow of wisdom. Now, you might think, what do I have to share? Well, believe it or not, people behind you will pick up. And they'll pick up your bad decisions, but they'll also pick up the, one, the good ones as well. And so Rehoboam... Um, he, he has a chance here to preserve a lineage of wise decision-making. Now, remember, God has said that this is the son. Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. He's only going to end up with one tribe. Now, the circumstances for him to get one tribe have not exploded yet. And so what you always believe in, in, with the understanding of God is he declares a thing, but the truth of the matter in his ultimate grace he really, he does it because he knows the end from the beginning, but the truth of the matter is you still have access to make decisions. You fought, are you with me? And so Rehoboam is about to make a, 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 a series of decisions, one in particular that's going to hurt him. First, Corinthians, First Kings chapter 12, verses 6 through 15. It says, now King Rehoboam consulted uh, with the elders who had served his father Solomon, who had just died, he says, while he was still alive, saying, how do you counsel me to answer these people? Here's what the people were saying. Please lower the tax, man. Your dad was killing us. You, you understand? They were highly taxed. Solomon was exceedingly rich. I mean, the, their, his horses had more stuff than, than the people did. And so they appealed to the son, please just lower the tax. You know, just can you take the burden and the weight off us? And so King Rehoboam, I guess he didn't have an answer yet, so he's, he's kind of new in the game. And he, so he, he consults all his people around him. And uh, he says, how do you counsel me to answer these people? Verse 7. Then they spoke to him saying, if you will be a servant to this people today and will serve them and grant them their petition and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Verse eight, but, but he forsook the counsel of the elders, which they had given him and consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him, classic. And so he said to them, what counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us. And so the young men who grew up with him spoke to him saying, thus you shall say to the people who spoke to you saying, your father made our yoke heavy and you make it lighter for us, but you shall speak to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. I'm like, you, you guys having a bad day? I mean, what? <laughs> Verses 19, just jump down to verse 19 and 20. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. It came about that when Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, no, skip that for a second. 
I want, I want you to hold off that passage. Rehoboam decides, as you might already predict, if you're not familiar with this passage, predictably he chooses the young men's council. Predictably because that's how a bad movie is made. Like you're thinking, you know, you, you, those of you who ever used to watch a scary movie and you see the dumb thing, they're going to walk down the dark hallway and all of you tells you, don't go down that hallway, but it's a movie. They're going to do it just for your pleasure. You would think this meathead would have actually chosen the wise decision, that we had enough sense that these people that were surrounding were saying, look, this is really the state of affairs. Let's, let's lighten the load. Let's give you some time to uh, move into your position so that you don't know. He listens to his buddies who are thinking, nah, they're just telling you you're weak. We just go, let's double the whip, double the ax, double the tax, and he goes ahead and does it. And as a result of it, he's gonna lose. So here's what I want to tell you. Rehoboam is approached with sensible counsel, but he rejects it. He instead, he follows untested, unwise, and anger-loaded counsel that actually does the work that God's word said would do. It fulfills the word. What's the lesson for us? By the way, all the tribes would revolt and bolt, and the only one that would stay with him would be Judah. And we're not getting to Jeroboam yet. That's his adversary. Jeroboam, who was in exile because of his father Solomon, is now in the game. He's going to show up in here. And God has a word for him, too. So you don't get confused with all the Boams. There's a Jeroboam and a Rehoboam. And so Rehoboam has just made the ultimate catastrophic error. The ten tribes have bolted. They're going to end up in the hands of Jeroboam. And now Rehoboam is stuck with one tribe. He's made a bad decision. What does that mean to us? Well, it means that the minute you give yourself to self-preservation at all costs is the moment that wisdom starts to tap off. See, the minute you and I start to protect our interest, our self-preservation, our life, our things, and we pull back from the worship and the understanding and the listening to God, it's almost like the faucet starts to, start to close on you where you needed and had access to deep and, and amazing wisdom from God, we've tapped out of that now because now we're depending on our resources, our capacity, our understanding, our friends, all of the things that are around us. And the minute you do, you sacrifice your flow of wisdom. Continuity suffers because you have, you're, you're losing stuff to pass on and now your flow of wisdom has been tapped out because you're afraid or you're angry or you're, you've, you're, you're, you're holding on to your stuff. Are you with me? Yes. Stay, uh, let's, uh, let's move on. I, I don't want to. So here's this guy, Jeroboam. First, First Kings 11, 31 through 38. And I just want you to see what God says to him because he's in this. Three wise guys. Solomon, Rehoboam, and Jeroboam. Um, Verses 31 through 38, he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces. Thus says the Lord God, this is a prophetic word to him. He's, he's in another place and God's speaking to this guy. All of these things are happening and nobody knows them. See, you think you're, you're the only one in the game. In your world, you're the only thing that exists, but there's stuff going on around you. There's people's lives that are implicated. There's people's lives and children's lives and future lives 
that are all implicated in this, and we are so stuck sometimes in just our life that we make the most dastardly errors and we think it only affects us, only it's hurting something else that we have not even seen or tasted of. So he goes on and he says, he, a word of the Lord comes to Jeroboam who was punished. He was in exile. Take for yourself 10 pieces. For thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and I will give you 10 tribes. So he's already told him, you're gonna get 10 tribes. But he will have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen among the tribes of Israel. And because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the god of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Milcom, the god of the sons of Ammon, and they have not walked in my ways, doing what is right in my sight and observing my statutes and my ordinances as father did. Nevertheless, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant. I mean, God is so committed to David. He knows this guy's gonna blow it, but he's gonna keep it because he's gonna keep a hold of his promise. And he's telling Jeroboam, you're gonna get to run 10 tribes. Are you paying attention? He says, verse 35, but I will take the kingdom from his son's hand and I will give it to you even 10 tribes. But his son, I will give one tribe that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my shame. I will take you and you will reign over whatever you desire and you shall be king over Israel. Then it will be that if you listen to all I command you, here it comes, and walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will, build, I will be with you, I will build you an enduring house as I did for David, and I will give Israel to you. So Jeroboam is an adversary of the kingdom of Israel, and he is now going to get uh, uh, tribes. How many tribes did Jeroboam conquer on his own? Zero. How many did he work for? Zero. How many did he deserve? Zero, God gives him 10. Everybody say free. 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 That's, that's our life in a nutshell. I have worked for this. You have not worked anything. Dude, you have not worked for your salvation. That's bad theology. It's a free gift. Every time you think of how stinky your life can be, understand God has made you a, from a pauper. He has made you a king. You have, you have been transferred into the house of the king to eat at his table. And you never did a thing. Yeah. Jeroboam's listening ear and devoted following his worship was the only requirement. This is all he asked him. Worship me. I'm going to leave Jerusalem. You hear me, Jeroboam, buddy? I'm leaving Jerusalem for the sake of my, king, my servant David. And there will be a place of worship there. In other words, don't mess with it. Let me speed it up for you. Here's what Jeroboam does. He finds out people in Israel, the now separated 10 tribes, are still gonna make their journey to Jerusalem to worship. They're gonna worship. And that's bothering him because he figures he's got to keep the kingdom he has so rightfully deserved and worked for. And so he's going to say, you know what? What's the point? Let's, let's cut this little flow of worship 
over there to what God really cares. And let's go ahead and start building up other new high places where people can give up worship. What I love is the people are so easily gullible. I mean, that's the trade-off, right? Think about it. If you want to produce generation blessing, it has its fountainhead in the congregation. I'm just telling you. If you've known me, you know I'm a church guy. But I'm not a church guy because I'm a religious pinnacle kind of guy. It doesn't, it doesn't appear to be that at all, right? My point is, I know that in all the screw-ups that we have had generationally and things, when it comes to all things the church, I still have confidence and hope. You know why? Because God loves the church. Yes. Not the building. He loves you. He loves the church. And he's chosen... I don't know why, like, why would you choose Rehoboam? Why would you choose Jeroboam? Why do you choose the church to be the fountainhead of blessing in any community? It's because God chooses that, and that's his sovereign way, and he chooses to do that through you and I. And when you choose to give your worship to your, to your success, to your fear, to your calamity, to your pain, to your shame, Get the tears going. Flow the tears out and get back into the business. I need you to hear my heart. We need to preserve a lineage of blessings. Some of us are on the tailwind of our life. We still have something in us and we need to leave it. it, it we owe it. And those of you that are younger, oh my gosh, come on, baby. Get with it. Get with it. Fight tooth and nail for preservation. Fight for your kids. Fight for your children. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God has used this message to minister to you. If you would like to help financially support the work of Catskill Mountain Christian Center, you can go to our website and give at www.cmcconline.org. There you'll find options how to give online safely and securely. And on behalf of Pastor Bob Inglehart and everyone here at Catskill Mountain Christian Center, this is Jake Johnson signing off. God bless and thank you for joining us this morning.